0: Welcome to Thanks for the Knowledge, Fanbite's weekly news podcast. I am not head of large, or head of media. (laughs) Wait, that's a a 99 Potions (laughs) joke that I'm reusing uh, in Thanks for the Knowledge. I am not head of media, John Warren. Uh, John Warren is doing his best SNL impersonation and is on a boat this week. So I am taking over for thanks for the knowledge this week and I'm glad to be your guest host. Uh, this week as a special, uh, one-off episode, I'm going to sit down and talk with one Rebecca Valentine, uh, who has previously been on the show with, uh, with other guests, but it's going to be a one-on-one conversation. And we're going to talk through this week's news. I, uh, if listeners are not aware, Rebecca Valentine and I have someone for a relationship, we are living together and we're, <laughs> we are, uh, I guess a, a couple is the correct word I for it. I guess
1: a couple. I'm sorry. I guess that, a couple. That's what we're going with.
0: I'm not, I'm trying to think of like what the, cause like, uh, what, what is our celebrity couple name?
1: We are romantic partners. Why do we need yeah. a celebrity? Why, what?
0: Cause we're celebrities who so are a couple. So it's like Benifer. I'm not a celebrity.
1: We're,
0: yeah. We're, uh, you're verified on Twitter. You're a celebrity. That doesn't,
1: uh, no. They've, they'll uh, verify anyone these days.
0: Producer uh, Paul Tamayo suggests Imreb. Uh, what about Rebron James?
1: Oh no! Oh no! That that's something that would be very funny if it was anyone other than me. I would <laughs> I would laugh at that if it was any of our friends, but I will not mm-hmm. claim it.
0: Yeah. Well, we don't have to claim it. It's just given to like celebrity couple Ugh. names are bestowed on you. Ugh. Uh, This week we are going to talk about multiple subjects, but Rebecca, you just got back, or no, you didn't get back. You just covered Comic Con. I just remotely. got back from the office. <laughs> yeah. You you were in the office covering Comic Con. I, I know you are not particularly Marvel pilled. You are no. not somebody that like covers like I drag you to those movies, but you, you, drag you me. like dragged. I, I buy tickets for both of us, I'm like, hey, we're going to this movie and they're like, okay, cool. And yes. sometimes you like them and sometimes you don't. That's true. How did how did you th- come out of Comic Con feeling about the slight of nerd culture for the next five years?
1: Oh my God. It's so I you know, it's funny. I simultaneously am looking at this this Marvel timeline and I'm just like, this is too much. This is just way too much. Why is there so much? Oh my God. But also looking at it and going, man, it would be really cool if we just all knew what video games were planned for the next couple of years, but also could be cool about it because half the reason why we don't do that in video games is because if something gets delayed or like misses a window, everybody loses their minds. But in film, like things usually come out on time. And so you can- like project all the way out to twenty frickin' twenty six, uh, but that's it's it's like so much. Uh, I I don't know who half these people are. Uh, one of these movies apparently has a dude who's like like a square and has like an angry face. Modok. Um, like I'm glad you knew what I was talking about because I sure didn't. Yeah. Uh Which is apparently like a
0: organism designed only for killing. M-Doc. Why
1: do you know this? Uh, <laughs> it's just like this incredibly deep cut. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, I guess it was, it was like good for me in the sense that, yeah, I'm not like a Marvel person. I'm not even big. This is like a weird thing to say. I can say it on the fanbite podcast. I'm not a big entertainment person, if that makes sense. Like I games and books are like the two, my two touch points to pop culture. I do watch TV. I do watch movies, but I feel like I watch them like a normal amount rather than an enthusiast amount. Uh, and so I'm not up on literally everything the way someone who might go to Comic Con is, but I found that covering it from home actually gave me a lot more insight into that culture, like a crash course almost. And so that element was actually really fun. Like I feel like I learned a lot, and maybe found some things that I might enjoy in the future. Uh, maybe confirmed that I'm going to ignore some others, and that's fine.
0: Was there anything there you were like, okay, this is something I'm actually excited about. I'm I want to try this out.
1: Um, I mean, I think like. I think so, definitely some of the Marvel movies, um, I, I was weirdly intrigued by the Sandman. Uh, this is not a Marvel movie. Uh, mm. I, I had not ever thought for more than one second about the Sandman, and I couldn't, I couldn't tell you anything. It's the Neil Gaiman thing, right? Right. Gaiman? Gaiman? I've never said his Gaiman. name out loud.
0: I feel like it's Gaiman, but also I just might be wrong.
1: I've never said his name out loud. I like know who this guy is. I've read his books and I've like never said his name out loud. Okay. Uh, fun times on this, on a podcast where I have to talk out loud. Uh, yeah. But,
0: th- thanks <clears> for the not knowledge.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, like I, I don't know anything about this. I couldn't tell you the first thing about it, but I, I watched the trailer and it's like, looks cool. There's like a, there's mm-hmm. like a magic Sandman and there's like death and their friends. And I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it just had a vibe to it that was really cool, and I'm like, okay, now I want to know more about this. So maybe maybe yeah. I'll like try to figure out what this is and maybe watch it. Um, My extent
0: of knowledge with Man is that uh, Yoshitaka Amano did the art for the comic, mm. and I own that, never read it, but that is a thing that looks really good. So maybe I, if if the movie matches that similar graphic or similar art styling, maybe I'll watch that.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the other thing was actually the Lord of the Rings series. So I'm uh, Rings of Power. So I'm I'm super cynical about Lord of the Rings media. Um, I love the books like so much, uh, and I actually really liked the original film trilogy. I thought it did the best job that anyone really could of encapsulating those books in a film version, which is a real I think would be a really hard thing to do. Uh, first Hobbit movie was okay, but pretty pretty much from there on, like everything just sort of went off the rails. I'm like very cynical about sort of this this mass media money-making view of Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth that sort of like jumped off from the fact that the movies were these just massive blockbusters. I don't think that they expected them to be as huge as they ended up being. And so now everyone sees Lord of the Rings and gets big dollar signs in their eyes. And so everybody's trying to riff off it. We've got like mobile games with like gacha mechanics, and we've got like Shadow of Mordor, which is a great video game with a cool system in it, but maybe shouldn't have been set in Middle Earth because it seems like it's got kind of a cynical view of it, which is not what Tolkien was writing about. So anyway, I'm mm. like I'm like a big nerd about this stuff. And I wasn't super stoked about Amazon, <laughs> about the Jeff Bezos company doing a Lord of the Rings adaptation. Um but I got to admit, like, the panels kind of, like, drew me in a little bit. Like, they they seem like they're... Well, most of them seem like they're thinking about the source material. I was sort of thrown a curveball a few days later uh, with, with sort of the line where they're, like, inaccurately interpreting Tolkien to be like, oh, well, there's no... I, I, we're not making a show about politics, right? Like, this is not a show... This is a show that is timeless, that could be enjoyed in all ages. And it's like just completely ignoring the fact that art is a product of a political environment inherently. Yeah,
0: are they are they trying to argue Lord of the Rings is not a show about various world wars?
1: I don't know. Uh it was a weird line. I it's it's one of those moments where I genuinely can't tell. Like I I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the origin of this question. Like, I don't know that the interviewer was necessarily thinking of this origin. I don't know who I don't know who the original interviewer was. But I'm sure that the, the reason why this question came up in the first place is because there are like some nerds on the internet who are mad. Oh no, we might have gay elves or something. I, I don't they're like mad about some perceived polit- politics, some perceived wokeness or whatever. And so this discussion has like apparently kicked up and it gets all the way to them. And by the time it's asked in the interview, I, I I feel like there's maybe wiggle room to see them as trying to answer, like, oh, we're not trying to make a story about Trumpism, right? Like, we're, we're not trying to draw, like, direct lines to specific political figures or political moments that are happening now in 2022. Like, I could sort of see them thinking that was the question being asked of them, but that's not the question that was being asked of them, and that's not the answer they gave. So it felt, like, weird and unintelligent and un... Like, like, disturbingly separated from the the very strict Tolkienism that they have purported to be sticking to elsewhere.
0: Hmm. Well, okay. So Comic Con sounds like it was interesting, at least. Yes. Uh, in terms of a a thing that news came out of for the entertainment product. Yes. Uh, let's talk about the thing you've actually been watching over the last <laughs> week. We've both been watching this. I, you and I both wrote stories about this earlier in the week, but. A church in Nero Automata was discovered uh, on, I want to say Sunday, that uh, or I, some, Monday, I believe, something like that, but it was a thing no one had ever seen before in that game, and immediately people called fake, but the thing that kept people from calling it fake is that moderators were saying, this could not be, be possible. You can find the story on IGN.com by Rebecca Valentine, or on Fanbyte.com by me, uh, where we I kind of bought into it of possibly being real. You were a little more like, we both went uh, different ways during the week about what could this possibly be.
1: And neither of us were right.
0: (laughs) So uh, explain to our readers a little bit of like the background of this thing. And then we'll, we'll talk about how it kind of ended last night.
1: Yeah, so this saga actually began over a month ago, like almost two months ago. Uh, this Reddit user, brand new account, uh, uh, user Sad Futago, which as everyone in the community will remind you, futago means twin in Japanese. <laughs> it became a meme by the end of it. Uh, mm. they, ba- they posted a thing on, I think they originally posted it on a near fan art subreddit and then eventually moved to the regular subreddit when they got no answers. Uh, but they basically said, how do I get into the church? And you know, a couple people replied and were like, what church? Because there's no church in near automata. Like there's, there's a couple places, I guess you could maybe like misinterpret as being a church, but there's no church. And so, you know, people are trying to be helpful. They're trying to, you know, help someone who might seems a little confused. And they're like, Hey, like, can you, can you send us a screenshot of where you're at? Like what's going on? And over the course of the next couple months, this person slowly started drip feeding like a little more information every single time. And they kind of, they, they positioned themselves. They seemed. They were in like this persona of maybe like a kid or like a teenager like somebody who who isn't super like doesn't have a whole lot of access to you know a lot of technology necessarily. They're claiming pl- playing on like the 1.0 PS4 version with like no patches uh, when when asked about that. They claimed they like didn't have the ability to take large video chunks. Um, right. But as they slowly started drip feeding information out, like at first it was this door in the copied city that doesn't exist for anyone else it's like a blank wall there's no door there and you know they they were able to open this door and drop down a really long ladder and then run down this hallway that is like this twisted alice in wonderland hallway with these towers sticking up through the different sides of the hallway that retract as uh, a2 runs down and then it continues to progress they post a little more each time and finally we get this long video and the these screenshots where they enter a church and it, it's this like very, it's copied city. It's like very like like stark white church with pews. Uh, it's got this little bird bath with these two birds in the in the corner. These two like fake like still birds, not like moving birds. Uh, at the front, there's this like altar with a like a figure of a child laying on it with uh, the lunar tear sticking out of their chest. Uh, there's a weird black like uh, blocky glitchy blob in the corner and then there's like a chest that 9S can open by hacking and it's this very detailed like lovely environment and this is does not the, the crux of this is no one else can find this. This does not exist in anyone else's game. So this person is like asking for help, like how how I have gotten in here. How can I help my friend get into this church? And everyone is like, you can't. Like this is not a real thing. What is this? And so everyone is sort of torn apart over this because on one hand, it, at first everyone thought, oh, is this like some cut content that we never found? And so I mean, there's a near modding community and a near like you know a community that has dug into the game and they data mine this thing and they they're like this doesn't exist. This is not a thing that is actually in the game
0: yeah. and they, they get the, this guy, the pews specifically, like everything else you could find somewhere in the game somehow, the assets, but the pews yeah. specifically were not f- like findable by data miners or modders.
1: The door, I believe as well, the door was like very elaborate. Mm, yeah. Like the, the, I, I don't know which door they were referring to, but like one of the doors that he goes through is like very like elaborate and is not, not in the game. So, so right. So, so this is not a thing that exists in the game. So there was, there was sort of a hunt going on trying to figure out like, is this, is this like, Cut content. Did this person like accidentally get some sort of old copy of the, like, yeah, I mean, you know, coming up with all sorts of like strange theories as to why one copy of the game might have this in it. Uh, But then, you know, the modding community sort of turned, okay, well, what is this? Could this be a mod? And the resounding answer from basically every single modder, it like known modder in this community is no, there's no way we do not have the capability to do this level of stuff in near automata. Like, like not, not even just, oh, We've gotten close, but no one's done it yet. But we we have not even gotten remotely close to adding like assets wholesale or like rearranging them in this particular way. I mean, I, I'm not like super up on modding, but basically, like this is just completely completely removed yeah. from anything that has ever been done before. Impossible. Yeah. No way. The
0: thing they told me is like it's beyond capabilities for current modding system, like modding tools.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people said this. Like it wasn't it wasn't just a couple experts that were trying to convince everybody. Like it, I mean, I was sitting in the Discord and on the subreddit for all week and repeatedly over and over everybody, no, there's no way. There's no way. There's no yeah. way. Uh, so the third possibility, which uh, got stoked maybe a little further than the people who were actually behind this intended, uh, was that this is some sort of marketing tease. And this is the, this is the avenue I went down. I thought this was a marketing thing. Cause I like reached out to a couple people people uh, I know at Square Enix. I was like, Hey, what is this? Uh, and they, they didn't say, I don't know. They said, we can't talk about it. And like every time I heard that, I was just like, oh, that right. that sounds like a thing where you know what this is and it's a marketing thing. So I assumed it was a marketing thing and it was exacerbated by Yoko Taro himself, who delightfully somebody somebody tweeted at him and was like, hey, like, do you is this like cut content? What is this? And he quote tweeted it and said, um, if you're looking for insight, look at my bio. And his Twitter bio says, uh, please direct all queries to my publisher or whatever it says, <laughs> basically point, pointing at Square Enix, which is just a, like a delightful troll, which Yokotaro surely looked at this and knew instantly what it was. Like, he knows what's in his game. He knows it's not cut content. He knows it's not marketing for his stuff. So he knows it's mods and is just, you know, playing fun games with everybody. Uh, right. Yeah. So this, this went on all week. Just this constant escalation. Uh, it eventually turned into there's a video where he ends up he comes back as uh, 9S opens up the the hackable chest fights the the black blob people are losing their minds because like the black blob and the the figure on the altar and the lunar tier and devil and popolo's weapons are in there too so everyone's losing their minds thinking this is some sort of near replicant connection uh he fights the black blob he wins he goes over to the bird bath in the corner uh it's asking him the questions if you know near replicant it's asking the like what what it's like, it's like how did how did mankind die or whatever it is, the black disease, right. whatever. Um, and, and yeah, it's this, it's this whole tease. And it finally built to a head last night where we got a series of screenshots, absolutely incredible screenshots of nine S standing in like this giant cavernous room with these towers sticking up out of things. And if you know, the end of uh dragon guard three, the giant, like, mass of the giant flower with uh all of like zero and uh her compatriots all the
0: intoners. Yeah. Yeah,
1: thank you. Uh sti- like sticking out of it with their arms outstretched. Like that the this thing, this flower with these women sticking out of it is like hanging from the ceiling. There's like chains stretched across the ceiling. Uh and there's a, a big lunar I think it's the lunar tier it, that's sitting in the center of the room. And uh it, it's just it's these beautiful screenshots. Uh and it leads up to sad Futago uh Linking a Twitch stream called Finale. Yeah. And by that was, point, it had
0: become obvious it was no longer a like, hey, how do I discover this thing I found kind of
1: No, no, no. Troll. This is like a It was like,
0: yeah, it was him like showing, not showing off. It was a presentation. It yes. was a show of, I want to, like, this is leading to something. Come here at this point in time.
1: Yeah. So I set my stupid alarm and woke up at an extremely stupid time of the night. It was like 1 a.m. I don't even remember. Right.
0: We we went to bed and you had your phone and headphones on you.
1: I did. I did go to sleep, yeah. but I woke back up. Uh, and the d- I the delightful answer is this was a mod. It mm. was in fact a mod. And I I think the most impressive, th- it was three people. Uh their, their their usernames that they go by are Devil as Revenge, Woeful Wolf, Woeful underscore Wolf, and Raider B. Uh, so it's three people. Uh They the message they said uh, they said, thank you. Everything we have shared has been completely in game. No editing was used. We've been loving all the discussions and theories. It has been an amazing journey. It has been inspiring to see the community come together after so many years. It made all the hard work well worth it. Uh, We hope everyone had a good time. We certainly did. And then they said, over the following days, we'll be releasing the new Blender add-ons and scripting tools, completely open source. We have so much more in store for you. Devil is Revenge will release the mod files if you'd like to finally enter the church yourself. Keep an eye out for more, especially Raider B's upcoming mod, which is already prepared. So I haven't, I, I was checking this morning. I haven't seen a whole lot of details about what these mods actually are. And again, I'm not a modder, so I don't think I have anything smart to say about what these actually are. But from what I can tell, these three people, basically just just the three of them, blew open like recreating near automata somehow in blender and are are going to make it open source and they managed to keep this a secret from i think the majority of the community because these are three names i did not see much i I don't think i i mean i i you know wasn't checking every name but like like they seem to have deceived a lot of their fellow modders in a good way
0: It was a wonderful surprise. How how must it feel to be a modder working on something and then presenting it and every other modder in the community says, yeah, this is not possible. What you've done is actually must like it must be real because it uh, defies belief like that is it's such incredibly talented work. Also, I appreciate they didn't stretch us on beyond like multiple weeks because that would have been interminable if they just kept this going for like the next. Two. They knew when to end it. They knew that it was right to just go like, hey, we got a thing. We're, we're just doing this now. Yeah. I, this is it is fascinating how well this worked out. A lot of us were bamboozled. I think a lot of us were bamboozled because we talked to Square Enix and were like, hey, what's the deal with this? They said we can't talk about it. And I think that's because what I what I believe is that Square Enix probably doesn't want us to like pay attention to Nier Automata mods. They don't want us knowing that they're Nier Automata mods. And there's things messing right. with the game files. So in their effort to not acknowledge it, they ended up making it a much bigger deal than just saying, yeah, this is not real.
1: Yeah, I do think so based on kind of what they said during the stream, uh, it it sounds like they had actually intended this to go on a little bit longer. But for they had some personal reasons, it sounds like they had to hurry it up. But also they admitted they never they what they expected was for just the near community maybe to seize on this as cut content. They didn't expect it to go nearly as wide as it did. And I definitely yeah. think that Square Enix's denial and uh, the the modders just vehemently saying this was impossible sort of riled everybody up uh and and just made made everything explode. But I I I mean I think there's sort of some interesting reactions to this. So the modders obviously seem to be thrilled. Uh like like especially because it is going to be open source and they're gonna get to play around with it. Uh the people who were like involved in the modding community and even like kind of involved in the near community from the beginning also seem pretty thrilled. It's very cool. There's a lot of people who are disappointed uh because I think this range so far, a lot of people actually started expecting it to be some sort of tease for something big. I mean, I did, I did think that's what it was for a while, but they're they're like genuinely disappointed and feel like they were, you know, deprived of something, which I think is sort of a bummer reaction, honestly, to some really talented people pulling off such a stunt so effectively and having something really neat to show for it.
0: Yeah. Like, I kind of know what their plans are with this series, so like I was like, it's not likely they have anything to actually tease right now. But it's it's very... I understand kind of where people are coming from thinking it was going to be new content for Nier Automata. It didn't make a lot of sense, but I understood where people were coming from. It's, it's still neat. It's a still a wild story that has happened, and that they can like they had a presentation to show at the end of this they had things that are going to create neurotomatic content at the the long view of this so i i can't have that much sympathy but i understand why they why people are a little like bummed out by it
1: yeah i just i mean i think part of it too is that the switch version is coming out soon And I mean, my my prediction was that this was going to be new, like a small piece of new content, like maybe like an extra dungeon or like an extra area with a special boss or something uh, added for the Switch version that would also be present in other versions like that. That's kind of the direction I was going for a while. But yeah, like this is this is not remotely disappointing. This is like a very, very cool thing. And I think it really helped. I mean, Nier Automata came out in 2017. It seems like this really helped like revitalize the community a little bit it got i mean i know i know a ton of people are gonna bounce now that the saga's is over but it i mean it got me wanting to play near automata like i was sitting there last night and i was like i know i know i personally am not going to solve the, the secret of the church but i really just want to run around in near right now and then i realized it had left game pass and i no longer own it uh so <laughs> i didn't play it but you yeah buy a
0: switch version then
1: Right. Yeah, I mean it's it, it, I I think I think it it's breathed some interesting life in the community. I'm super stoked to see what people do with these mods because now that pe- now yeah. that even more people have access to the tools, I'm sure we're go- going to get even more cool things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like you could do it. I wonder if they could for the most part like do some drag because the end of that that event was Dragon Guard models. So yeah. I wonder like could you import some Dragon Guard stuff? Like Dragon Guard 3 is not necessarily a great game, but it's Mm -hmm. more importantly, it's a game that runs like shit on PS3. (laughs) I've been waiting for them to do a Dragon Guard 3 HD remaster or something that just have not done it, because I assume that game is made with, like, bubblegum and tape. But (laughs) I wonder if modders could do some cool stuff. Like, could they at least bring those characters in? Could you play a Zero in Nier Automata? Like... Those would all be very interesting things. I'm excited for their possibilities as someone who's very like near-pilled. But yeah, they they happen to choose. Like, if they did this as Babylon's Fall, nobody would give a shit. Nobody would be like, oh, this is cut content in Babylon's Fall. I'd be like, yeah, sure. I, I bet this is Babylon's Fall. No one's gotten that far. Who knows? Like, <laughs> But they, they, they just did this with Nira Automata, with Yoko Taro specifically, with all this stuff made people like l- cling to a... A hope for a mystery, for something interesting coming out of it, and I think something interesting did come out of it, just not the thing everyone thought it would.
1: Yeah, I I think it helps that uh, who who is it? Was it who is it that said that this is something Yokotaro would do?
0: Uh Yosuke Saito, the producer on the game. Yeah,
1: show. yeah. Saito tweeted uh, when all this started to blow up. He's like, "Yeah, this is something Yokotaro would do," which. He's right. it sort it, it, it super is. I mean, it's it's a little it's a little involved, but the the general idea of it, like running some sort of bizarro ARG with like screenshots of a church, uh, I, I mean that, that feels very in the realm of Yokotaroism. Uh, yeah. Even if, even if the the details don't perfectly line up, but but the the broad strokes do, and he's I, all.
0: He, Yoko Taro is also the first person to tell you he won't do something unless it's for money. So the fact that this wasn't monetized in some way makes it would make me think immediately. Yeah, it's probably not Yoko Taro.
1: Yeah, I mean he says that, but I I think the dude likes making cool art.
0: He does. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I love this. I I'm not remotely disappointed. I'm not remotely sad. I was wrong. Uh, it was really really fun. I I love. I love when there are like secrets. I, l- I love, I love games as they line up with secrets that the community all bands together to solve. It's really fun to me.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's move on real quick. I, this is a, th- a thing I know you have thoughts on. I know you've been wanting to like write about this. Oh boy, What's going on with Ubisoft lately? Cause uh, they had their financial is? call, uh, not too long ago, but this week they, they did a weird thing where over the, over the past week, uh, reporter Jeff Grubb uh, of Giant Bomb, who has been on the show, uh, mentioned on another podcast that Roller Champions, I had to think of all the different Roller uh, portmanteaus <laughs> in my head, Roller Champions was going to be canceled soon, and like that was not a, like a galloping shock to anyone, that game does not seem like it's doing super well, and Yui soft uncharacteristically denied it. But also, like, you combine that with their recent delays or recent cancellations, all that stuff. It's not quite clear what's going on with that company. They feel like they're kind of in a bad way. What's your take on all this?
1: I have, I have, like, multiple takes. So Ubisoft historically has been really bad at, I, project planning is not the right word, but at saying dates out loud and then sticking to them. Uh, like like not even in just the last couple years not even in just the last five years but but like literally throughout the last couple decades there are multiple I I do not have the dates or the names of the games in my head or pulled up on my computer at the moment so I mean I If someone wants to see the article I wrote a few years ago, I can dig it up and find it. But uh, a couple of years ago for G.I. Biz, I was talking about Ubisoft delaying a bunch more games. And I pointed out that like historically they have been sort of poked at by investors because they're like, hey, you do this a lot, actually. Like you'll you'll make a bunch of big pronouncements for release dates for your games and then stuff gets delayed and delayed and delayed and then canceled. And like, like what gives, why do you keep doing this? Why not just not say dates or why not, you know, wait until you're ready. And like, like he's given well at the time, I think that he was asked this question, like gave, you know, sort of a non-committal response. But they keep doing this, right? Like, like historically, they just say dates and then and then stuff gets pushed all to hell. And I I've not I that I, I don't have a clear answer yet. Like I wanna do some sort of analysis or investigation into this and like figure out what the deal is at Ubisoft, like why this keeps happening. Um I my my assumption, my guess would be because there's sort of like a disconnect between there's a disconnect between like projects being greenlit and expected to do big numbers, big money, and then sort of a point where they realize it's not actually going to do huge money. And then they have to do one thing. They have to either pour a bunch more money into it to make it better so it will make money for them, or they have to cut their losses and just drop something that is not that they're not happy with. And I feel like this actually happened with Roller Champions. Like, I love the idea of Roller Champions. And there was a a brief period of time when Ubisoft seemed very, very excited for it. And then suddenly they weren't excited for it anymore. And they just sort of like, it out they they barely marketed that game like i i did not hear anybody talking about it uh and they just sort of, i feel bad for the, for the team because it feels like they just sort of threw it out there to die and i'm i'm sure that jeff grub is is correct that it is it is being wound down and ubisoft is just like using a a peculiarity of like the language that was used or whatever to
0: yeah you know. not canceled can mean so many things
1: right yeah like like i'm sh- i'm sure in spirit like like Jeff is absolutely correct on that one. And Ubisoft is just sort of, you know, trying to turn it around a little bit, but that, again, that's not the first game they've done it to. Uh, and they have all of these projects that are just sort of perpetually in limbo skull and bones beyond good and evil. Like,
0: well, skull and bones has a date now. It, it seems like that yeah. game is going to be just a trash fire. I but played it that game.
1: I played that game at E3 2017.
0: <laughs> Same.
1: It's, like yeah, it, it, this just it just keeps happening. I mean, they delayed Frontiers of Pandora. Uh, they, I I'm not sure, I, and I can't I can't figure them out either because they specifically said, yeah, we delayed some unannounced games. I mean, I guess they're yeah. doing that for the shareholders to explain why the money, why the numbers are changing. But it's such a weird thing to just be forthcoming about. Like when when you have this this reputation of being the company that just constantly delays things, why would you say, yeah, we actually delayed more things than you thought?
0: I feel like it's gotten particularly egregious lately, though, because like they've got really nothing this year. Like this year's big release is uh, besides Skull and Bones, which, as we mentioned, probably going to be a trash fire. Mm -hmm. Like the biggest thing they've got is Mario Rabbids, which is (laughs) not a I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic game that I will love. Not the typical thing Ubisoft hangs its hat on for the year. And like they've announced a Splinter Cell remake, but they must have announced that literally as it like went. they greenlit it. Uh, they canceled their Splinter Cell VR game. There's really no, they canceled, fade, they like, canceled to that, Clance,
1: that Tom Clancy thing, that thing that they literally announced and then immediately yeah. shut down like a week later. And then today, and then this this last week in their earnings call, they were like, oh, it's like fully canceled.
0: The battle Royale that they announced yeah. when I was on vacation, when they came back, they sent me a PR saying they've delayed it. And I was like, Hey, delayed what? And like, it's a, it's such a weird thing. It doesn't feel like that company really knows what it's, what it wants to be anymore. And I can't tell, like, was this part of the, the large ousting of developers from when they had to clean house due to the, the sexual harassment and bad company culture stuff? Like, is, are they suffering now because they did that two years ago? Or is it just like, they're just disorganized?
1: I mean I think they're definitely su- I mean okay I think they're definitely suffering because of COVID like everybody is this is this is the year of all of the games that quietly you know suffered during COVID are now getting public delays and so I, I we can't discount that like that that is everybody that is impacting everybody I'm sure that's part of it here but like they have this history and it does seem more egregious for Ubisoft than it does for anybody else and I think I think you're right to sort of pinpoint uh the the work culture at Ubisoft is the problem I would I would say You know, aside from just sort of, you know, kicking out a bunch of people who were maybe in charge of projects and then maybe not like filling those roles effectively. um, I mean, I wonder, I I, I saw the Ubisoft, uh, like, workers Twitter account tweeting the other day about how, like, was it 25% of the people who signed the initial open letter have since left Ubisoft? Yeah. Yeah. so, and it's, I mean, been a,
0: like, it's been a year and they still haven't gotten anything from Ubisoft in terms of their demands.
1: Yeah, like I wouldn't be shocked if everybody's just got like crappy morale right now and a bunch of people are like a bunch of good people are fed up and leaving and finding other jobs or, you know, people are being you know asked to move into different roles or different projects and they're refusing because, you know, the culture is just such a mess. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the answer is I don't know. I don't know what's going on at Ubisoft, but I definitely think there's some weird trends uh, both, both like as a company over the last several decades, but then also in the most recent two, three, four years, and I, I want to poke into it. I, I wonder if I'll f- find the time somehow, but it's, it's certainly a, a weird thing that kind of makes me worried for Ubisoft.
0: Yeah, like I, I wouldn't say I'm worried because like whatever, they'll be fine. Right. But like they, they have no big tent poles anymore, and he, like I feel like the Prince of Persia remake has mm-hmm. been emblematic. Uh, of what that company is being and acting like now, which is that wasn't even an original game. It was just a remake of a much loved game from way back in the day. They gave it to a studio that just seemingly did not have that much like uh, prior or primary development experience, and then they got delayed and delayed and delayed. From what I understand, that game was supposed to come out in its original release date, but. Cyberpunk scared them so bad because they the actual release is a trash fire again uh that they were like okay we have to hold this a little bit and then eventually they just pulled it from the developer and gave it to Ubisoft Montreal who I feel like should be doing something more ambitious with their time than a of a time remake but also we don't know when that game could will possibly come out and what I think always what fascinates me about these Ubisoft delays is that they're so sure on one financial call and then the next quarter rolls around and there's like, whoops, got delayed to, uh, hopefully like two quarters beyond where we said it was going to be. Avatar is a very good example of that where they were really damn sure it was coming out and they were, that was their big tentpole title. That was going to be their big moneymaker. And now they've got nothing for the next eight months, 12 months. It's like, it's very fascinating that, they got themselves in this weird position where nothing is working, where they're not not—they're not even throwing anything at the wall to see what sticks. They're just holding it in their hand and be like, I'm going to throw this against the wall. We'll see what happens when I do.
1: I would argue one thing is working, and that's actually Mario Rabbids. Uh, I mean, mm. that, the game's not out yet, so I guess it could be a total trash fire, but I, I i assume it won't be, right? Like, the first Mario Rabbids is very good. This one also looks quite good from everything I've seen of it, and i I think kind of part of that is because Nintendo probably has a very, very firm hand in what this game is going to be and how its development is going and sort of having a, a an extra non conflicted hand on the wheel steering a project is, and, and being able to just sort of let them guide it is, is probably good for them. Uh, Cause it has like a clear direction and a clear vision. And, you know, isn't, isn't heavily reliant on a bunch of crappy people who, you know, need to get fired for bad behavior. Uh, So I I don't know. It seems like that that's going well and that'll, that'll do well for them. But I mean, it's not going to save Ubisoft single-handedly or
0: save their financial year, I guess. They need a banger of an Assassin's Creed and they've, they've announced Assassin's Creed Infinite in response to Jason Schreier saying it exists. But apparently there's another Assassin's Creed coming before that, that we haven't, they've not officially announced yet. And it's just, It's so like they they might be better if they got back on the yearly cadence for it. But I kind of wonder if they're so disorganized now they can't like if they don't have the infrastructure in place anymore.
1: I think this is just me musing. I mean, you can you can like contradict me if I'm just totally off base here. It feels like Ubisoft doesn't know how to do small and medium sized games anymore. They they very desperately want literally like what's the next game? Assassin's Creed Infinite Infinity. Like. Like yes, they, that, they that
0: was the, not the next game, that, that is down the line. Supposedly right. there's an Assassin's Creed game between that.
1: Like, a, Like think about the Assassin's Creed series and where it started and what it is now in terms of size and scope. And then just the, with I, I don't remember any of the information about Assassin's Creed Infinity or whatever it is, but like like just the, the name itself, it, it just seems like so much. It seems like way too much. And they it feels like they want every game to be like that. They want every game to be a massive, like, Tom Clancy's division two level thing that they can monetize the hell out of forever and ever. Like they or the division, whichever division was good. uh, Maybe both of them. (laughs) I don't remember. Uh, But, but yeah, like, like they desperately need every game to be that. And the second they realize a game is not going to be that Prince of Persia roller champions, whatever. They just sort of say, okay, well they either cancel it or they just sort of like, you know, throw it out there and say, okay, well here you go. And that's it. And yeah, that that's a bummer. Like I, I, I feel like you lose so much in that. Uh, I mean, I used to love the Assassin's Creed series when it was a little more contained, and it's never going to be that again.
0: There was a time where they felt like they were supposed to be the biggest publisher developer in the world. Yeah. Like, they had so many studios across, like, internationally. They had just every a studio in every country. Everyone at some point was working on something, and they had nine to ten releases a year. And those were, like, it's very... It's very interesting to think back on those days because it did seem like Ubisoft was poised to take over the entire industry. They fought off of a takeover. They're, they're fighting rumors right now that they're trying to be acquired. It, it doesn't seem like they're in the same place. I'm not sure exactly what changed beyond just games got more expensive to make, which maybe that is the thing. Maybe that is actually the the defining factor in what makes a big publisher into a struggling one
1: yeah i don't know someone should investigate it maybe it'll be me
0: (laughs) someone should yeah hey thanks for the knowledge listeners it's paul Hope you're having a nice relaxing start to your week. Just wanted to quickly interrupt this week's episode to let you all know about the rest of the shows on our network, which you can find over at fanbyte.com slash podcasts. Maybe you're in the mood for a really amazing Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes spoiler cast with our very own Niriam Strom, Imran Khan, and LB Hung tears. That's on the 99 Potions feed right now, actually. Want an improv-style game show about video games? Look no further than Channel F, where this week our amazing intern Charles joins in on the festivities where we ask the question, is Charles really that young or are we really that old? All of this and more over at fanbyte.com slash podcasts. And hey, we don't run any advertising for our shows, so if you could tell a friend about Thanks for the Knowledge or any of the other wonderful shows that me and Jordan Mallory produce, we'd really appreciate that. Anyway, thanks for listening and uh, back to the show. Speaking uh, of uh, smaller games and smaller publishers, Annapurna Interactive had a show this week. Why don't you, real quickly, what were your highlights for that show?
1: Oh, I, I'm really stoked for Thirsty Thirsty Suitors. Uh, mm. I love the idea of like a Scott Pilgrim uh, Scott Scott Pilgrim fight off your fight off your own sort of disgruntled exes, plus like Jet Set Radio skateboarding plus cooking mini game. Uh, sounds really cool to me. Let's uh, see what else. Uh, Keita Takahashi has a new studio called Uvula, which I have no idea what it's making. Uh, but I'm I'm happy for that dude because it seems like Phenomena was was not a great time for him, and he makes weird stuff. And I I hope I hope whatever he makes, he's he's doing better, and it should be a yeah. good time.
0: Uh, it's weird how how. I think that guy, Keira Takahashi, is just so like, he wants to just do his own thing and that conflicts so much with like the business of video games that he keeps running into issues with people who are like, hey, like Sony canceled Wadham," or Sony, like not canceled, but like they no longer wanted to be a part of Wadham at some point. When he was at Namco, apparently people just, like the executives stopped talking to him as a whole.
1: Oh, that's so weird. Like
0: despite Kanamari doing fairly well, they They just didn't want Like he wanted to make $20 playgrounds and they didn't want that anymore. So he went and made literal playgrounds. Like I'm glad he is back in video games. I'm glad he's doing what he wants. I hope this one works out better for him.
1: Yeah, I do too. Uh, I am super stoked. Uh, cardboard computer, the studio behind Kentucky route zero is working on a new project. Uh, don't know what it is. No title, no nothing, but I devoured Kentucky route zero. I will absolutely eat up whatever else the studio makes. Like it's so exciting. Mm. Um, I really like the look of flock gather your friends. It's this little game. Uh, it looks like a lot of this is just me like looking at trailers and trying to like discern (laughs) what this is. Uh, you're like, there's a little person riding on this colorful bird kind of flying around like these very colorful, like naturey landscapes. And there's like all these little, they look almost like they're, they're almost like bug snacks type little creatures not food, but like little, little like weird bugs. Uh, Mm -hmm. Or like little creatures all around and you're like trying to gather them up and fly around with them. I I have no idea what the point of this game is, but it it looks really cute.
0: (laughs) How do you feel about Annapurna in general these days? Like, I know I'm asking this question about like multiple publishers at this point, but like, do you feel like they're they're keeping to their level of like quality and promise of, you know, digging out cool indie things?
1: Yeah, I think they mostly are. I, I do think as they have grown. So th- there was a time a couple of years ago when I when I said, like, you know, Annapurna pretty much publishes nothing but bangers. I don't know that that's necessarily true anymore, but it's also not untrue. I mean, I think they was like,
0: the worst game of last year, I feel like. Oh,
1: right. I always you know what? I always forget that they published 12 minutes. OK,
0: <laughs> let me let
1: me get I'll, let me put a little asterisk by 12 minutes. and I'll get back to that. Why I don't think that ruins my theory, even though 12 minutes is very bad. Uh mm. And, and has grown considerably. Uh, they're, still, they're still the indie publishing label, but they, they publish a lot more games than they used to. And I think inevitably, once you're publishing that volume of games, you're going to, not everything is going to be a 10 out of 10 game on Metacritic, right? Like the vast majority of everything I've seen them publish has been good to great, right? Like like it's all it's all pretty good, at least. It's all for somebody. Uh, I, I have not heard of them having any truly bad games except for 12 minutes. Mm. Uh, but... I see how we got here. Like Anna Perna is not sitting there supervising every level of like 12 minutes of, of what 12 minutes is. Like they they signed on before this thing was finished. And my I, I can see a world where someone comes to Annapurna with this pitch and and with these people signed on to it and, you know, with this prototype and they're like, this is cool. Because we all did think that 12 Minutes was very cool when we saw, like, the early demos and the promise of it. It's a cool idea. And so I totally understand why they signed on for this. Uh,
0: this this I, I, seemed very laissez-faire in general, though, because, like, this is not to conflate game quality with, like, uh, actual human issues, but... They they don't really take much involvement with it when they sign and publish a game. In the case of uh, Steve Gaynor, where they just kind of like let him be, even though people were complaining directly to Annapurna about it.
1: Well, and that that's sort of the other side of the coin, right? Like, so I my my two sided thinking of Annapurna is I think they are very good at looking at a sea of ideas and picking out a bunch of really good ones and saying, we will give you money and we will publish this. They seem to be like, they, they have a really high success rate on that. And I don't, I don't think, I, I mean, I think that high success rate has, has been muddied somewhat, but I don't, I don't think it's been ruined. I think if you're picking up an Parana published game, it's probably going to be good to great. Mm. Uh, I am really troubled by the fact that they now have three studios that have worked with them in recent years, uh, that have had like really crappy allegations come out about the work culture at those studios. Like that. Those three
0: are full full Fulbright and who else?
1: Fulbright, uh, phenomena and, uh, mountains, mountains, Mm. uh, the, the Florence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like that's, that's really troubling to me. And I know, I know kind of, kind of the the theory on that is that Anna is very hands off, but, at a certain point, like when you've got when you've got three studios that this has happened to, maybe it's time to get a little more hands on people. Like maybe <laughs> it's time to talk to talk to your people and see what's going on. because uh, That's really troubling like that. That kind of abuse exists in indie public indie development as well. Uh, It's not just at the AAA level. And in fact, it's often easier to disguise at the indie development level, because when you talk a big game about diversity and inclusion and, you know, making making games for the sake of making games and not to make piles of money, uh, it's easier to mask some pretty crappy, horrible things. and. I I don't love that Annapurna has just been sort of quiet about all of this. And so it it sort of makes me that that's the thing that makes me hesitate a little bit, not 12 minutes, but but the fact that they (laughs) seem a little bit reluctant to either vet the people they're talking to seriously or I mean, you know, you can't you can't always know. Like, I mean, people people hide these things very effectively. But when it happens, very vocally condemn it and say, hey, like we this sucks. We will never work with them again. Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. All they've really done is they've, like, quietly shuffled things around and be like, this one person is problematic is going to not be in charge of this thing anymore. Which is, like, good that you're getting a, towards a solution, but it does seem like they're actively trying to avoid a public stance on these problems, which I understand why. I understand that they want to be the, the publisher in the background that, like, just picks up cool little indie games and then does a cute little Twitter for them, but... Overall, like I do think it's a problem that they need to start dealing with more hands-on.
1: It super is, yeah.
0: All right, Red. Before we we uh, finish up here, uh, I wanted to ask you mostly honestly. Like, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this one because you told me when I asked you this question earlier. <laughs> but do you have a game of the year so far?
1: Yeah, you know, it's Elden Ring. I think pretty obviously. I think I think Elden Ring is like, if we're being honest, most people who has played it, it's game of the year. You say pretty
0: obviously, but the reason I was curious is you you have loved other games this year recently.
1: Yeah, I think uh, there's sort of this problem and I, I I can't take credit for this phrasing and I don't I don't remember where I heard it. I heard it like on Twitter or on a podcast or something the other day, but there, there's sort of this syndrome that I feel like a lot of us are are dealing with this year of of playing a couple there's several very very good games that people are playing and then saying, "Oh, this would be my game of the year if not for Elden Ring." Like like there's a lot of that going around right now. And I very much, feel, I feel that way about Live Alive, honestly. Like I really, really love Live Alive. Uh, I, think, I think Live Alive beats Tunic, but before I played Live Alive, I would have said that about Tunic. i had have been like, oh, this would be my game of the year if not for Elden Ring. I uh, also really, really liked uh, Citizen Sleeper. I thought that was a really incredible indie game that I I don't know that it necessarily would have risen to Game of the Year, but I was like, wow, this is great. And I, it, it feels painful to me because at the end of the year, I'm going to have to talk about my Game of the Year in a bunch of different settings. And I'm going to be talking about Elden Ring over and over. And I I loved Elden Ring. I loved so many things about it. It is It is probably one of the most incredible things I've ever played, but I always feel this like twinge of guilt. Like, why am I not? Why am I not talking about the little guys? I wish I could be talking about the little guys right now. (laughs) Everybody knows Elden Ring's great. I don't need to stand up for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was like that year that uh, there was the Game Informer Game of the Year meeting, and I came into it late because I was working on a story. I was like, okay, I know what I'm going to fight for. And when I came in, they were like, okay, is it God of War or is it Red Dead Redemption 2? And I was like, Monster Hunter? (laughs) <laughs> and by that point, nobody was talking about Monster Hunter, but I, I, there's a lot of things this year. I We keep saying it's a fairly like light year, which in terms of like game traffic, it kind of is, yeah. but in terms of video games that are releasing, that are going to probably be like going to be games that we remember by the end of the generation. It's been actually a pretty decent year.
1: Yeah, it really has.
0: What Speaking of which, like there's a still another whole half of the year to go. Or I guess less, not the whole half of the year because we're end of July at this point. But what? It, there's a number of releases left. What are you looking forward to? Like I, what's th- what's on the rev list?
1: I actually don't know. Is that is that weird? Like I I couldn't <laughs> even really tell you what's coming out this year. That I'm, I guess I guess I'm curious what Pokemon's doing. Like I know I'm gonna pick up Pokemon no matter what. I don't I don't see it even coming close to Elden Ring in terms of how much I'm going to love it. But I I love a Pokemon uh mm-hmm. i don't i don't really know like like what else is coming out uh well we just
0: mentioned mario and rabbits which is one thing that i think yeah a lot okay of people will dig yeah I will, uh, I will play
1: i will play and enjoy that i liked i liked the first one quite a bit um uh, for
0: me personally both god of war and bayonetta 3 are gonna be pretty big ones
1: yeah those those won't be huge for me i did so uh I guess I guess I'm mostly like hoping to be surprised by something. I've already been surprised multiple times this year. I I did not have any expectations going into 2022. Like uh, I was not intending to play Elden Ring, and then I did. And It's like one of my favorite things I've played in my entire life. Um, I I sort of stumbled into Live Alive and loved it. Uh, to Nick, I was always interested in, but it exceeded my expectations. Uh, Citizen Sleeper was a total surprise to me. I played a lot of really interesting indie games that were really fun. So I guess, I guess I'm like hoping that that I get surprised by some more like indies or or just games that I don't expect to love and then end up loving. I'm scrolling through this list of releases for the rest of the year and I don't I don't know that anything's really.
0: Leaving an out at you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think I might play. Uh, what's this thing? Uh, I was a teenage EXO colonist or something what is this i might play that <laughs>
0: i've n- never heard of that i like the title
1: yes that's a real game uh Finji's publishing that uh it's actually coming out at the end of next month uh, it's a card battling narrative rpg uh i've had hmm. multiple people recommend it to me. oh is it already out this says it was out in 2020 is it coming out on console is that what's happening
0: might be a console release might be uh early access it was who knows
1: Yeah, I'm sure we can look it up and find it was early access in 2020 and it's now fully coming out. That might be what's happening. Yeah, I don't know. I've had like multiple people say that I might like that. So I'm going to I'm probably going to give it a shot. I was also told about this is not a game that's coming out this year, but I was told I would enjoy a game called off, uh, Hmm. which is apparently a hold on. I'm I'm pulling it up right now. It is a game that came out in 2008. Uh, It's a role playing game. Uh, It's about baseball. Uh, It is about an enigmatic humanoid entity known as the batter who is described as being on a sacred mission to purify the world of off. The batter travels through four bizarre zones in the world, revealing more about the world as the game goes on. Anyway, I was told I would like this, so I guess I'm going to play a game from 2008.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds right up your alley. Sure does. Yeah. But yeah, that, I mean... I can't think of what games I'm excited for the rest of the year beyond the ones I've mentioned, but like I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stuff that just kind of catches me off guard too. Like, oh, this thing is neat. This thing is a thing. I am. I I find will probably crawl its way in my game of the year list somewhere along the way. Yeah, and that's good. It is good when you don't know what's going to be in your game of the year list in January of the year.
1: Oh, Harvestella! I forgot that was coming out this year. That Square oh, Enix uh, life yeah. sim farming thing. I'm so. I was about going that. to
0: say. I was going to say maybe it's going to be some weird Square Enix game, that, but they have like five more games coming out this year, inexplicably.
1: I'm on a Square Enix kick right now. I don't know what's going on. I, I loved yeah. Chrono Cross uh, and Radical yeah. Dreamers when I played the Radical Dreamers edition. Uh, I love I love Live Alive. I've been thinking about Nier a lot lately. I'm currently playing through Final Fantasy VII Remake, and now I'm excited for Harvestella. Square, Square Enix uh, really speaking to me in 2022.
0: It, they've had a very quiet comeback story. It's not been as like, dramatic as Capcom's has been, but like honestly, most of the stuff that comes from Square Enix Tokyo has been good. Like, good to great. Yeah. Is, so, is,
1: is AEW Fight Forever this year?
0: N- I do not believe so. I believe it is next year.
1: Okay. Well, whenever that comes out. I've never played a wrestling game before, but I want to be Orange Cassidy. <laughs>
0: Everyone wants to be Orange Cassidy at least some point. There. Inside you are two Orange casties.
1: <laughs> the, the one that's actually fighting and the one that's sitting alongside the ring going, yeah, whatever.
0: Yeah, whatever. All right. But uh, Rebecca Valentine, news reporter for IGN, which is a thing I realized somewhat mid podcast. I never mentioned that you are news reporter for IGN. Yes. So I wonder if anyone came to this podcast being like, why is everyone just talking to this person? This random like, person. What, what do they why know is everyone ta-
1: talking to his girlfriend? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but news reporter for IGN, thank you so much for joining us on Thanks for the Knowledge.
1: Thank you for having me. Love to be here.
0: That's been this week's Thanks for the Knowledge. I've been your host, Imran Khan. Your regular host is John Warren. Uh, he will be back not next week, but the week after. Uh, this has been a special one-off episode, but if you liked it, if you want to talk more about uh fanbite or fanbite things you should go join our discord at fanbite.casa if you want to talk about this episode you can happily add us at fanbite media you can add me at ImranzoOMG. you can add rebecca valentine at duck valentine uh our producer paul tamayo you can uh at at Poly mayo on twitter and i would love if you just checked out other fanbite podcasts as well like 99 potions with both john and i are on channel f which is a ga- show about video games and trivia and video game trivia as well and plenty of other things on Fanbyte's oof fanbites portfolio of various shows also just check out our website the near th- story we talked about also there so it was lovely having you all this week